Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Don't forget the, uh, let me see, the... Body Soul Spirit Expo that's being held at the International Center in Toronto, 6900 Airport Road in Mississauga, right across from Pearson International uh, Airport. Their website, www.bodysoulspiritexpo.com. We're going to be talking to Mark Gumbinger this hour. We're going to be talking to him about the Titanic, the Titanic disaster. Now, he is a marine historian, is a media mainstay, having appeared on countless radio shows and every major TV network. His latest DVD, The Titanic Disaster, is just one of the 36 acclaimed shipwreck and lighthouse programs he's researched and produced over the past 20 years, including the Andrea Dory 
and of course the Edmund Fitzgerald. And joining me now is Mark Gumbinger. And Mark, welcome back to the Exxon. Nice having you with us. Well, thanks for having me back, Rob. I have to ask you this. What is the the attraction every year to the Titanic? It seems to be, you know, it's really the mother of all shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are a hundred years ago this month, the Titanic sank. And, you know, 200 years from now, long after we've come and gone, People will be talking about it in 300 years. I think it's a story, it's a comedy of errors, Rob. You have this this beautiful ship on our maiden voyage, mm-hmm. which started out virtually unsinkable, and somewhere along the way in the in the media hype and everything, it virtually was dropped, and then it was on the unsinkable ship. And it was almost like they were tempting fate and God that there's no, you know, you're a beautiful vessel, mm-hmm. you know. It, it is, it's just mind-boggling here, your maiden voyage on 882-and-a-half-foot ship, uh, 53,000 tons, you know, carrying over 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. And it was like a slice of the world in a time capsule. You had a, it was, it was a little city. You had your first-class millionaires. You had your second-class. Then you had your steerage, your third-class and if just maybe one or two of these like numerous things would have changed, the history would have been changed, and the, the ship probably wouldn't have sank at all, and it probably would have gone on to a 20- or 35-year career, very similar to the, its sister ship, the, uh, the Olympic, mm-hmm. which is yet even another thing that caused the Titanic to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, because the two sister ships, the Olympic and the Titanic, were being built side-by-side, and when the Olympic was just a little bit ahead of the Titanic, went out on her sea trial, she ended mm-hmm. up colliding with another ship, uh, a German a naval vessel, and they had to bring her back and work on her. She had she was injured and she had a hole in her, but not enough to make her sink. Wow. And they took all the men off the Titanic, Rob, and they put her all back over on uh, the Olympic to finish that up. So it pushed the Titanic back another 20 days from her leaving Southampton, England, mm-hmm. to head to New York, which actually caused that iceberg to come farther south. And, you know, we know the rest from there. Yeah, you know, having done all the research on so many uh, wrecks and lighthouses, is there a common thread or a common element that you've been able to discover when it comes to a shipwreck? You know, more often than not, it's uh, it's a combination of, of this of human error mm-hmm. along with the environment. All right, sta- uh, stand by, Mark. I'm sorry, we have to go to our commercial break. We'll be sure. right back. Exonation, Mark Gumbinger is my special guest. The website is www.titanicdisasterdvd.com. That's www.titanicdisasterdvd.com. Mark and I will be back after this two-minute break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
Welcome back, everyone. Um, Mark Gumbinger is my special guest. His website is www.titanicdisasterdvd.com. That's titanicdisasterdvd.com. Mark, what are some of the uh, chains of events that actually led to the demise of the Titanic? There were so many, Rob. It started out... um Bruce Ismay, he was the head of the White Star Lines. Mm-hmm. He was the big, you know, the big, the big honcho. Uh, him and Lord Perry, uh, 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 Perry, I should say, uh, back in like 1907, came up with the brainchild idea of let's build uh, three massive ships, larger and more beautiful than than uh, their competition. The Canard Line was their main competition for White Star Lines, and they had large, beautiful ships also, but they wanted to really blow, you know, really mm-hmm. really make a statement, blow them out of the water, so to speak. So they, they were going to build the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Gigantic. Uh, well, they started with the Olympic and the Titanic, and then after they lost the Titanic, they thought the Gigantic was too ostentatious, so they, they pulled back on the reins, and they called it the Britannic instead. So uh, anyway, uh, the uh, chain of events... Uh, Bruce Ismay, they were originally going to have 64 lifeboats on the Titanic. But he thought, well, you know, it takes up a lot of deck space and the promenade deck up in first class, and this ship's virtually unsinkable. We're not, you know, having all these lifeboats is mm-hmm. like a bad commercial, like, you know, what do we need these lifeboats for? So let's, let's instead of having 64, let's cut back to 32. We're never going to need all those lifeboats. And besides, we'll still be compliant because uh, all the uh, compliance really for, for back then, but they weren't making ships 882 feet. Uh, most ships were three, 400 feet long back then. Uh, the compliance was 16 lifeboats. And then they started thinking, well, you know, we don't really need 32 lifeboats. Let's just make it 16. But we'll, what we'll do is we'll put in an additional four collapsible lifeboats and not only will we be compliant, but we'll have a f- four additional extra lifeboats that we don't even need just for extra safety precaution. So we'll have even more deck space and promenade space for, for the first-class passengers, and this will just be wonderful. So, the, you know, the real villain, if, if you have to point a finger, mm-hmm. is Bruce Ismay. Uh, then uh, when they were designing her, they, they cheapened her up. They used a lower-class rivet up in the front where the curve of the ship comes down, Ironically, right where the iceberg met the ship, yeah. uh, they went from a, like a third-class rivet to a fourth-class, which had uh, less steel and more uh, slag in it, and it, it wouldn't uh, withhold as well. Plus, the Titanic, it was that old, brittle steel anyhow, that uh, the plates, and they were only about an inch thick. And uh, when it became very cold, it uh, became very brittle. And in this case, you here you have an, an example of 28 degree water temperature that oh, night, wow. Rob. Just, just and you can only imagine hypothermia. It would, you would, you would be unconscious in a matter of minutes and maybe suffer a heart attack and be completely dead uh, in 20 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's just that fast. It's just that rapid. And uh, the, the poor people. You can only imagine, you know, sticking, you know, immersing your even in your hand in, the, in that water 
um, you know, for for a few seconds, you, imag- you imagine having to submerge your whole body into that, and instantly you'd be, you know, the only good thing about it is the people didn't suffer that long um, because they, they they were so numb so fast. But you know, consciousness was just so rapid. But um, now getting back to the chain of events, so sure. now you have uh, from 64 to 16 lifeboats and four collapsibles. They had uh, the cheaper rivet, uh, so when they hit the iceberg. Uh, that rivet popped off and sheared mm-hmm. off, and if it was maybe the better class rivet, it might have withheld the uh, impact of the iceberg. The other thing is they were uh, the captain uh, was sailing with uh, Bruce Ismay was on board, and they think his just his presence alone caused the captain to be uh, schlepping along at about 25 miles an hour, about 23 knots. Wasn't quite her maximum speed, but close. I think she was about 26, 27 was maximum on the Titanic that night. And she was still going along at 25. There were several iceberg warnings that were coming at them that uh, uh, some which made it to the captain and some which, which didn't that said, hey, there's icebergs that ahead. There were several other ships in the area, including the California, that sent them an iceberg warning about an hour and 10 minutes before she sank. But the Marconi wireless uh, radio operator didn't work for Titanic. They worked for their own company that was leased inside the Titanic. Never, they think, never shared that last iceberg warning. Mm-hmm. Never made it up to the bridge to warn to warn of that. In fact, they not only did it not reach the bridge, mm-hmm. the wireless operator of the Titanic on the Marconi radio radioed back this Californian and said, shut up, leave us alone, we're trying to get messages out, because I think they were having problems with the radio earlier, and they were trying to get these, these, these messages. They had these, all, all these millionaires, like John Astor, they were, they were sending these very expensive messages to New York saying, hey, we're going to be arriving, you know, such and such mm-hmm. time, and, and sending these, these great messages. That's how they made their money. They didn't really make money by hearing, hearing iceberg warnings. So it's just, a, you know, again, this comedy of errors, Rob. So then uh, this was about, uh, I think that was around 10.30 at night, and at 11.39 they, they saw the iceberg. And can you imagine this, Rob? Here you have the, the, the gentleman, the lookout, up in the crow's nest. They didn't have the binoculars with them. They didn't either. They were left in Southampton, England, oh, God. or they were down in a locker somewhere. Wherever they were, they were misplaced. They weren't where they should have been, mm-hmm. up, up the crow's nest. So they were running uh, up there uh, basically with a, their naked eye. And then on top of everything else, Rob, it's a moonless night, so you don't have any ambient light from the moon. And it was a flat, dead, calm night, so you didn't have any frothing up on the iceberg where if there was a little bit of a chop, you could see the iceberg a lot sooner. Just, you know, just a comedy of errors. One thing right after the next. Why, why did they think that the Titanic was unsinkable, especially if they used... Second quality rivets, uh, you know, metal that was only uh, sheet metal that was only an inch wide. What gave them the idea that this ship was unsinkable? The well, these iron plates are about an inch thick. Um, the they had the watertight uh, compartments, mm-hmm. but they didn't go all the way up to the top of the top of the ship. They only went up like I think twelve, fifteen feet. Wow! If you measured it from the from the bottom up. They didn't go all the way up to the to the to, to the top where. Uh, uh, so what happened when uh, she pierced the side of the iceberg, Rob? Two hundred ninety nine feet was uh, partially perfed, 
where the rivets were sheared off and allowed all that water to come in and sort of peel back those those plates. And uh, they figured that if anything ever happened to the ship, that one or two of those compartments would fill up, but the pumps could keep up with her long enough for another ship to come by. And they never thought in their wildest dreams under normal circumstances that those rivets had to be as strong as those other ones. Uh, you know, it just happened, you know, that, that, wow. in that area of the ship where it curved up from, from the uh, keel, mm-hmm. right where it curved up by the bow over there, right where she happened to hit the iceberg was really one of her weaker points. You know, who would have thunk? If it was under normal circumstances, sure. those, those class four rivets would have, would have held up for 50 years. It would never have been an issue. So it was a, sort of an engineering snafu, you know. And then what they later did on the Olympic after the Titanic sank, they uh, they came. Well, they didn't even know about the rivets back then. But they, what they did do is bring the bulkheads up higher, and uh, and add more lifeboats. So they they learned from that anyhow. How long did it actually take the Titanic to sink from the time she hit the iceberg until the time she she went right under? About two hours and forty minutes, and. Uh, and the coward, Bruce Ismay, he got on that last collapsible lifeboat, and uh, he got, there was, there was a heck to pay because he, uh, the Senate uh, uh, inquiry in, uh, in New York mm-hmm. gave him like a thousand questions, and under peer pressure, he later left White Star, and he never wanted to talk about it in company uh, to talk about the Titanic. He would refuse to talk about it in his presence. I mean, he, uh, you know, the, the designer... Uh, the Captain Edwards, mm-hmm. they went down with the ship. Bruce Ismay got on that last lifeboat. Unreal. He was a coward. Uh, he was a villain in this. In today's in today's money, how much would the first-class ticket would have cost? You know, I, I, I forget the amount. I want to say, um, I want to say, um, what was it, $5,000? Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, the... Um, and some of this is going back from my memory from sure. about a year ago when we were researching this, but uh, I can see if I can cross-reference mm-hmm. oh, it. No, but it's I, okay. I, 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 th- I, you know, for some reason, I, I thought it might have been around $5,000 in today's currency, but back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Well, if you're John Astor and you're a millionaire, mm-hmm. back then, a millionaire really meant that you were... Um, that you were a million, you know, you, 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 the, unlike today's inflationary money, a million dollars right. back then, uh, you could afford, you know, $5,000 would be chump change. It'd be like you and me, it'd be like five cents. Mm. Uh, would it be fair to say that the Titanic was doomed before she even hit the water? Well, in a sense, because the, um, the, uh, they had all this media hype. Oh, you know, it's virtually unsinkable. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, the virtual got dropped, and it's unsinkable. Then you had, uh, um, you know, you had these rivets, and then you had Bruce May and these other choices that oh, we don't need. You know, what what they really needed was a bare minimum. I think if you did the math with the amount of passengers on board, I think forty nine. If you call it 50 lifeboats, should have been the bare, bare minimum for the amount of people on board that night. Um, but obviously, 64 would have been about right. And, so, so, uh, why, so how did they get away with it? Well, you see, back back then, Rob, mm-hmm. uh, these ships were two, three, four hundred feet long, right? And the minimum requirement was uh, was only 16 lifeboats. But these was this is a brand new age of shipping where the last that that last 
year or two, mm-hmm. they were starting to finally build these super-sized ships. And the Titanic being 882 and a half feet long, they should have said, hey, this should be a minimum. Yeah. You know, if they would have even doubled the 16 to and 32. Had, you know, had 32, and then let's say maybe had another uh, uh, eight or ten collapsibles, that would have been put in it pretty close. Hey, Mark, you and I have to take people. a commercial break with the news. Sure. Stand by. We'll be right back. Mark sure. uh, Gumbinger is my special guest, Nation. Titanic Disaster, DVD.com. We'll be back after this news break. Don't go away. How long will we be? You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com Nation, uh, Mark Gumbinger is our special guest this hour. We're talking about the Titanic, and uh, Mark's got a DVD that is out. It's called The Titanic Disaster, and Mark's website is www.titanicdisasterdvd.com. That's titanicdisasterdvd.com. Uh, so looking back as, as we can with history, how have things changed within the sailing industry and what was attributed to the loss of life on the Titanic that made it safer for people from that point on? Yeah, first thing, Rob, what they did was uh, they said the Titanic was obviously sailing way too fast for mm-hmm. conditions. Uh, the uh, They immediately passed a law that there should be an equal amount of lifeboat uh, size for the amount of people on board. And uh, they immediately made those changes to the sister ship, the, the Titanic sister ship, the Olympic, and other ships that were sailing. And they finally were catching up with the larger, the larger length and the larger size vessels to, to be in compliance with, with those requests. Uh, they also passed a law that um, you should, uh, back, back then, they, I think it was around midnight, they would turn the radios off in the mm-hmm. ship. So they, they, they passed a law that there should be a 24-hour radio communication aboard vessels and ironically after they passed that um there was a ship in the chicago harbor the eastland and it was sort of a top-heavy ship a couple of years later and they they uh, we did a program on that you can go to our website edmundfitzgerald.com and look at that one as well it links from the titanic disaster uh, dvd.com but the uh, on the eastland they they took a top-heavy ship and mm-hmm. they took the superstructure 
put reinforced it with concrete and put additional heavy lifeboats on it. So when people were boarding in the Chicago River that morning as a result of this law that was passed with the Titanic, it made the engineer was trying to keep the ballast level, and people were running from one side of the ship to the other and looking at people on the shore and waving at them. Right. And the ship capsized in the Chicago Harbor, and 835 people died as a result of this. And oh pretty Lord. much, <laughs> here you're passing a safety law as a result of from the lifeboats in the yeah. Titanic, and here you cause another 835 people indirectly as a result to die, and which is supposed to be something for safety. So you know, sometimes, sometimes you just can't win with this. But uh, pretty much going too fast for conditions, mm-hmm. not having enough lifeboats, um, and and the radio communication that really that really hurt because there was another ship, Rob, the California, that was this is the one that that, that warned the Titanic about the um, about the uh, iceberg. Mm-hmm. But when they when the Marconi uh, operator on the Titanic shouted back, "Shut up, leave us alone." Turned turned off the radio and went to bed about ten you know ten thirty quarter eleven that night and then an hour later, you know she came in contact with the iceberg soon they were radioing for help and an SOS and sparking back with the radio to uh, to uh, the California that that operator went to bed and then there was even more they were launching uh, rockets that night and they saw rockets. And they even woke up the captain, but the captain uh, looked and he decided, ah, oh, that's nothing. Maybe they're celebrating or whatever. And he went back to bed, and they didn't hear about it until the next morning after the Carpathia, which was like 60 miles away. They had to steer around six icebergs that night, and they even modified their uh, the ship's uh, engine. They, they modified the heat in the engine so they could gain about another three knots. But... Unfortunately, they were too too late to pick up all those people because they were always they were frozen to death from the hypothermia being in the water from the exposure. Where the California, if they were, um, there was the, the Senate testimony in in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. They said that they thought they believed that if the California would have responded, they could have probably saved you know just so many lives. I mean, over fifteen hundred souls were lost that night, Rob. It's a lot of people, mind you. One loss yeah. of life is is too much. However, 1,500 people, my Lord. I understand the people of Halifax, uh, Nova Scotia, played a big part in the aftermath. Yes, there was. Uh, they, they have the cemetery and the tributes, and uh, they have uh, wonderful uh, remembrances there every year, and mm-hmm. they have the uh, um, uh, just uh, wonderful cemeteries, and you can see so much documentation, and there's a museum over there, and... Uh, um, it's uh, sort of the, really the gateway uh, because there were so many, uh, uh, so many of the bodies that they mm-hmm. recovered ended up there as well. Could this happen again? Yes, and and it did. I mean, just not too just long ago, right? The uh, the cost of cruise off, line, yeah, just off the coast of Italy. What, yeah. are they, what are they calling the captain the chicken of the sea right now? Which mm-hmm. is sort of a little comedy to, to a sort of a horror trauma thing, but. Uh, yeah, what you have, uh, what I see, I, now I've done 36 documentaries and just a lot of ships. What I, what I find more often than not, there's a uh, human error so often, mm-hmm. not that it isn't spurred on as a result of something that's out there physically or weather or fog or uh, maybe going too fast for conditions mm-hmm. or misreading uh, radar um, and then what quite often happens is even if you had enough lifeboats for the ship, uh, the, the Titanic sank pretty slowly. 
Uh, but like even in the case where the Andrea Doria was in fog and they misread the the radar distances and they ended up having a collision, the list was so rapid that it, it often renders half of the lifeboats useless. Now, the Andrea Doria, if my memory serves me correct, sank in the St. Lawrence River? No, that's, you're thinking of the, uh, I think that's the Princess of Ireland. Oh, you're right, you're right, uh, you're right, yeah. The Andrea Doria was off of Long Island in 1956. Right, right, right. And it was rammed by the Stockholm. That was outbound to go to, to uh, Sweden. Mm-hmm. And the Andrea Doria was a beautiful the, the floating palace, the Italian liner heading heading in. And that was a fog situation where they think the, th- the uh, I think it was the third mate on the Stockholm, mm-hmm. misread the radar guide rings. And instead of like, uh, I think he thought he was... Uh, 12 or 15 miles away from the Andrea Doria when I think he was three or six. And then they, they misread the, the, the pip on the radar screen and, and they both zigged and zagged at the wrong time. And they, uh, they literally hit each other. And, and back then they didn't have, uh, the, uh, shipping lanes like they do today. Uh, it was like a free for all. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more ships back there back in the fifties than there are even today. Cause now the ships are even bigger. But there was no shipping lanes back then. So, you know, you think about when we're driving down the freeway, you know, you have the north and south bound lanes, yes. east or west. This this was just, you just went where you went kind of thing back then. They, they weren't that uh, up on uh, safety as much as they should have been back then. And that was another thing they learned from Andrea Doria that uh, you know we should we should put uh, install uh, have it, having shipping lanes where you, everybody stays in their own zone. The last time you were on, Mark, we talked about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Has anything happened since then? Has has there been a, a, a an actual concrete finding on what happened to the Edmund Fitzgerald? You know. I don't think we'll ever find anything conclusive, Rob. Nothing's really changed since uh, my interview wow. last was probably about maybe two years yep. ago. I think I was done. Uh, what happened, uh, what, what I, reading in between the lines, and I interviewed authors and experts and captains of the Coast. I even interviewed the captain of the Marine Board investigation that conducted the investigation for the Coast Guard. And uh, um, the Coast Guard thinks that she had faulty hatch-covered uh, mm-hmm. gaskets which would allow thousands of gallons of water a minute to come in. Um, there was a huge freshwater hurricane that night. There was 30, 35-foot waves, some of the largest waves that are capable on Lake Superior that night. And now we're talking the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes and Lake Superior especially has a wave that will just chop your ship to, to death, where the ocean has these big swales in the separation, but the... Uh, the the Great Lakes and Lake Superior, the distance between the waves mm-hmm. is so much shorter. Is is, is uh, that what have, they call the Three Sisters? Yeah, there was Three Sisters also. Uh, mm-hmm. That that was a uh, that was that mentioned that a larger wave than normal came by yep. in, in a succession of three. Uh, Captain Bernie Cooper testified that he thought there was uh, um, a much larger wave that came by and thought that that caught up to her. Uh, the most popular theory that, from all the research uh, that I later believe in, uh, which I, I first thought maybe the Coast Guard was right with the faulty hatch cover gaskets, um, is that she touched on a shoal near Caribou Island. And most sailors will believe that she grounded. And uh, both of her radar units were out. And if she bottomed out, she could have opened up some water below her water line. And she was carrying this tactonite iron ore, Rob, and this, this ore just really absorbs heavy. like... 25, 30% of its weight in water. Wow. And, the tit- and in the Fitz case, the Fitzgerald only had a, um, a center drain. 
so she didn't have a right or left or starboard or port drainage system. All that water had to go down the middle of the ship all the way back to the rose box in the back, and that, that would be pumped out. And her pumps were on, and she did have a starboard list. And literally in a blip of a radar screen, Rob, she, uh, the Captain McSorley, he had a ship-to-shore wireless radio. In a blip of a radar screen, she disappeared, and she she vanished. And uh, literally about a couple minutes before that, the, the third mate on the Anderson was communicating with Captain McSorley on the Fitzgerald, and he says, by the way, how are you making out? And he says, well, we're holding our own. We're going along like an old shoe. And literally in a blip of a radar screen, a couple minutes later, she vanished. That's how fast she sank that night. 29 souls lost. And to, am I correct in, in uh, believing that still there has not been one body recovered from that uh, from that uh, sinking? They say Lake Superior never gives up her dead. I think at one point they claimed somebody, a diver claimed they, they saw some kind of body. I don't know conclusively on that. Mm. And to answer your question at uh, the beginning of the question on the Fitzgerald, they still conclusively don't know what caused her to sink because the bow is uh, is in 24 feet of the muck of the bottom of Lake Superior. Mm. They did look at the, the stern. Uh, they couldn't find any conclusiveness if, 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 if there was uh, any grounding. Uh, and the middle of the ship is just a debris field. It's about 200 feet, which is a garland mess. It's just a, it's just a huge debris field. But the bow is in 24 feet of the lake's floor, so we'll never know. And I don't see how that's going to change. I don't think it, you know it's considered mm-hmm. pretty much an underwater grave at this point, and out of respect for the families and the the, the, the people that lost their lives that night. And I think, gratefully so, it should yes. just remain that. Let me remain that one. Out of your 36 uh, di- productions that you've done, which is the most popular? Uh, for me, the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I happen to own the website edmundfitzgerald.com, so there could be part of that. But <laughs> that's sort of the Titanic of the Great Lakes, if you will. Now, our Titanic is newer, but for uh, I'm still I have a lot. I do a lot with the Great Lakes. We've done haunted tales of the Great Lakes and haunted lighthouses of the Great Lakes. I did ghostly lighthouses of North America. We did Great Lakes shipwreck disasters. You know, so we we, we got a lot right. of Great Lake things going on, Rob. So for us, the the the, uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald, we have the Edmund Fitzgerald anthology, which has the four one-hour DVDs, and we have the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Edmund Fitzgerald past and present. Our latest one is the Edmund Fitzgerald controversy, and uh, we have a two-pack right now. If you go to either one of our websites, where there's a link, we can, you can get the new Titanic and the Edmund Fitzgerald controversy. That's a pretty popular one. Um, but for us, the for us the Titanic isn't as popular as the Fitzgerald. The Fitzgerald is a uh, uh, the Titanic of the Great Lakes, if you will, Rob. Yeah, but, I guess. Uh, you know, but, but we we specialize a little bit more in the Great Lakes, so there, there could be some of that. And there's been an awful lot of saturation on the Titanic, obviously with the hundred year anniversary, sure. and since the movie thirteen years ago, also. And, and of course, it's coming back out now in theater in three D. 3D. That just, yeah. It was just released earlier this month. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't had a chance to see that. I've been a little busy, busy boy here doing some interviews. That's great. Um, yeah. I've got about two minutes before my next break. Why did you get involved in shipwrecks and lighthouses? My late father used to always tell me about the Titanic and mm-hmm. the Andrea Doria. I grew up on the Great Lakes. I, I grew up between Chicago and Milwaukee on Lake Michigan. And there was a shipwreck uh, called the SS Wisconsin that sank off Kenosha, Wisconsin. And he used to always film me with these stories about mm. that. And I, I started making films 
many years ago, and and uh, I did this documentary as a labor of love on the Wisconsin, and uh, the thing there was a lot of interest in it, and I proceeded to make more and more of them. And my fifth one was on the first one was the mystery of the Edna Fitzgerald, uh, the first Fitzgerald one, and was my fifth documentary on shipwrecks. And then uh, we started doing more and more of them, and then we thought, well, let's try some lighthouses because there's some fascinating stories about lighthouses. So we did that, and then we sort of went back to the ships, and then uh, here's the crown jewel for, for us is obviously the next one was, you know, we did the Andrea Doria, but, sure. but the Titanic, that was, you know, that's that's the one, you know. And here we are uh, over 20 years later, and we're still trucking along. Stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Exxon Nation, we're talking to Mark Gumbinger. Here's the website, www.titanicdisasterdvd.com. That's titanicdisasterdvd.com. When we come back, uh, we've got about four and a half minutes when we come back. So we're, well, we're going to ask Mark about haunted lighthouses. Why not? This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Mark Gumbinger and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Mark, you and I have been talking about the Andrea Dory. We talked about the Edmund Fitzgerald, as sung there by Gordon Lightfoot. And we also talked about, of course, the Titanic. But you've also done DVDs and productions on haunted lighthouses. And in your opinion, where is the most haunted lighthouse in the Great Lakes? Oh, there's so many of them. You know, uh, people seem to gravitate uh, toward lighthouses mm-hmm. in general. I think it's, they're you know, they're really... For us, they're almost our North America and Canada and the United States. They're really the the castles that uh, we have here, where Europe has their castles. Yeah. To us, I think Canada and the Great Lakes and uh, uh, you, you know in our areas and uh, it, it, they are our castles. And every lighthouse has a story, and virtually every lighthouse has a haunted story. Now, are they true or not? They might be or they might not be, but a lot of them are fun, uh, you know, fun to talk about. Um, there's a um, uh, one of the big ones that come to mind for me is the old Presque Isle Lighthouse up in Lake Huron. Mm-hmm. It can ter- continues to turn its lights on for passing ships, even though the wiring to the lamp has been removed. There was an incident where somebody was out in the fog one night, and uh, 
they were summons back to shore from the light of the old lighthouse, but the Coast Guard came in and cut out all the all the electric to the lights, but somehow, some way, and there's been hundreds of documentations that the light was on. Wow. How do you explain something like that? Uh, there's the one um, in um, in Gibraltar, Gibraltar Lighthouse in Canada, where there was a story of a murdered beer maker, and uh, the uh, he's allegedly still looking for his his murderers. He was a he was a lighthouse tender keeper, and uh, he liked making his own beer. And uh, he had some uh, like a little bar one night, and some people came back, and I think he cut them off from drinking, and they came back and killed them. So he's he's supposedly seen still looking for his murders uh, that night. Uh, there's just so many, but if you if you go to like our edmundfitzgerald.com, you can click on a, a real neat one is uh, haunted lighthouses of the Great Lakes, and we also have one called ghost ghostly lighthouses of North America. They're they're a lot of fun, and uh, but we're really proud of the new Titanic and the and the Edmund Fitzgerald, of course, is a, is another another classic that that mm-hmm. uh, lives on. As always, Mark, great talking to you. Continued success, and. Um... I look forward to the next time you and I chat here in the Exxon. Once again, give our listeners your websites, please. Sure. You can go to uh, TitanicDisasterDVD.com. That's www.TitanicDVDDisaster.com. And that will also link you to our EdmundFitzgerald.com. That's www.EdmundFitzgerald.com. Mark, take care of yourself. Look forward to the next time we meet. Thanks, Rob. (laughs) Bye-bye now. Well, that's it, Exo Nation. Another great four hours. And, of course, if you'd like further information on Mark Gumbinger, you can go to edmundfitzgerald.com or titanicdisasterdvd.com. That's titanicdisasterdvd.com. Well, there we go. Another show, another four hours. Some of our affiliates are going to carry us another four hours. However, if your affiliate doesn't and you'd still like to listen to the show, you can listen to us online seven days a week, 365 days of the year, 24 hours a day at www.xzonetv.com. So until the next time we meet, take care of each other. We are our brother's keeper. And uh, smile. It doesn't hurt. And you're going to make somebody's day 100% better than it was before. So until tomorrow, Exo Nation, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night now. Yeah. I know.